Calling out to the Itascacita community, it's time for your Itascacita Library Advanced Copy. Get your notes and news now. Hello, Itascacita community, and welcome to your Advanced Copy. Today is October 7th, 2022. There is so much going on at the library this month. You may have noticed that last week they broke through the wall that's going to join the library and the new meeting room. So if that's an enormous step in the progress. They've also got the outside portion of the windows that will line the back wall of the library done. So when we get to that point in the future where we shut down the library to do all those final checks, the final finishes to windows and doors, we will certainly let you know, but that will not happen until the next year. We're going to talk today about how music impacts storytelling, and I will be specifically focusing on film um, composers, but we also have anime composers and TV composers, and I am joined today with Janelle. Hello, everyone. And Darla. Hello. And when we talk about how music impacts storytelling, I think we'll go ahead and we'll get John Williams out of the way. Yes. I think you can't really have a conversation about mm -hmm. film composers without mentioning John Williams. So let me just hit some highlights uh, for anyone who might not know John Williams. I, of course, will include a, a few snippets of his music. He is one of the best known film composers. He is the only film composer to get the Life Achievement Award from the American Film Institute. He won his first Academy Award for adapting Fiddler on the Roof to film. That was 1971. Before that, he was on film scores as the piano player. So he played piano on scores for South Pacific in 1958, Some Like It Hot in 1959, The Apartment in 1960, and West Side Story in 1961. So piano player John Williams, that's how he got his kind of start in the film tradition. He is well known as a collaborator with Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg has said, this nation's greatest composer. He has given movies a musical language that can be understood in every country on this planet. He is also a spokesman for the importance of education, of course, particularly music education. And he himself, John Williams, holds honorary degrees from 21 American universities. He has the most Academy Award wins for film composition. So John Williams, Star Wars, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and of course, Jaws. And if we want to talk about storytelling, the two-note threatening mm -hmm. vibe of that film score. All of his work is iconic when you think about it. I mean, Jaws. It's like scary. The Imperial March, mm -hmm. you know, you hear that, you know what that is. And I was just now thinking of the E.T. flight. Mm -hmm. You can hear that and I will literally get goosebumps because I remember sitting in the movie theater watching E.T. And also watching Star Wars for the first time mm -hmm. and how insanely amazing that was on the big screen being 10 years old. Right. And his music contributed a lot to the background, to the way that movie felt. I think if you ever took the music out and Sorry Star Wars, it would be lessened if it was in any other composer's hands. I, I agree. 
if you talk about, and the title of this theme, Interesting Through History Has Changed, because at mm -hmm. first, for those who may not have seen Star Wars New Hope, as Luke is looking out across the horizon, mm. uh, the dual suns, and it was actually started out as Obi-Wan Kenobi's theme because it's seeking out, that's where mm -hmm. Obi-Wan is and everything. Then it became known as the Force theme. So anytime someone's using the Force, and then it also became known as the Skywalker theme. Mm -hmm. So it has kind of a lot of things going on. But if you remove that music and you've just got Luke staring at at a horizon with two suns. There's absolutely no emotional impact there. No. The moment you put that score in, suddenly you're connected, mm -hmm. you're understanding that it's full of longing and seeking and hope, and that's what music can do, and particularly in the hands of John Williams. That scene also, for some reason, always reminds me of Gone with the Wind. The scene where she's on the hill, and the, the mm -hmm. reds and the hues, and the terror theme comes up, and that's just like an iconic moment. And I, when you talked about that scene in Star Wars, that also gives me chills because just hearing that music and that scene, it is, it's, there's no way you could ever take that out. Which is interesting because I believe that's Max Steiner. Yes. And um, beautifully leads into talking about film scores and how Max Steiner was kind of one of the premier ones in the early years of Hollywood. And I wanted to read this quote, and it's from the Max Steiner Collection, uh, which is held at Brigham Young University. And it says, Steiner became the man the producers ran to when they were in trouble with their films, as if he were a doctor who could heal the afflictions of their children. When Of Human Bondage, 1934, was previewed, it had no score, and the producers were distressed to find the audiences laughing in the wrong places. Mm -hmm. Steiner was called in and asked to clarify the intentions of the film with his music. When John Ford's The Lost Patrol, 1934, was viewed by the headmen of RKO, they all agreed that the film, admirably directed and acted, lacked a certain tension. They felt more sympathy was needed in order for the audience to sense the plight of a band of soldiers lost in the desert and being picked off by the enemy who were never seen. Steiner was again brought in to acoustically supply the suspense and paint in the enemy. So, and Williams followed in Max Steiner. There was a lull in there in Hollywood um, around the late 50s, 60s, and, and early 70s in which symphonic music fell out of favor. There's not a lot of epic movies I can think of no. that have stood the test of, there's a few. Easy Rider, I guess, is one of the few that has stood the test of time, but there's not a lot that just kind of immediately, and then John Williams came and brought orchestral symphonic music back into a tool the director could use to tell a story. A lot of movies at that time used popular music. Mm -hmm which in some ways can reflect on a story, but in some ways they can also date something like, like date it like milk, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And you look back at a movie and you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't. And so I think, you know, an orchestral score, you feel the emotions without, you know, a lot of times songs are tied into certain things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that and they were also going towards realism and naturalism and a lot of them didn't have necessarily a whole lot of music in them. You know, they wanted they were more some more gritty things. Right, right. But I guess they felt they needed to tie with the community through the the music that was 
happening in the time. But we've we've spoken about John Williams a lot. But mm-hmm. Janelle, you have you have a couple of uh, gentlemen who are known as the John Williams of their genres, and I'd like to hear more about that. Yes. So the first one I have is Joe Hisaishi, and he's a Japanese composer, and he's best known for. Um, doing musical scores for all of Miyazaki films except for one mm. of them, and he's known as the as the John Williams of Japan. <laughs> <laughs> and his birth name is Mamoru Fujisawa. And when I looked up how he got his like a stage name, he got it from Quincy Jones. Oh, there you go. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, Another composer of well renowned. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Quincy and Japanese is pronounced Quincy. It can be written the same way in kanji, hisaishi. Oh. And then the Joe part comes from Jones. Right. And as some of some of you may know or may not know that Japanese names have the surname first mm-hmm. and then the first name. So he's known to us as Joe Hisaishi, but if you do it the other way, Hisaishi Joe. Mm-hmm. So you get that Quincy Jones there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So yes, he, he does a lot of minimalist work, but it's very prominent and recognizable when you hear the songs. Mm-hmm. I think the song One Summer Day that, that was in Spirited Away, that has like millions of listens on Spotify. And because I listen to a lot of lo-fi as well, I noticed that same bit of the song that they sampled. I'm like, why is this in like every lo-fi song? What is this? Where is the original? And then when I finally listened to it again, I was like, oh yes, it's, you know, you recognize where it came from. Yeah. That's funny because now that you say that, because I've been listening to a lot of lo-fi lately, mm-hmm. when you say that, I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's why it sounded familiar. Yeah. That's so funny because it's like, there was something in there that, yeah, you, know, you hear a theme or something and you're like, what is that, that, you know, rings a bell. And I went, that, I bet that's it. Yeah, a lot of Studio Ghibli movies, you know, it's very iconic and a lot of people grew up watching these movies and they connect they connect with the movies along with the music. One movie I like in particular, Howl's Moving Castle. Ooh, and waltz. Yes, yes. The song is called Merry Go Round of Life. Mm-hmm. And every time I hear it, there's this part in the movie where Hal picks up Sophie and they're floating into the air and he's helping her walk because like she had someone pursuing her. So he helped her escape. But it was done beautifully and every time I hear the song, I think of like, you know, dancing with Hal in the mm-hmm. sky. Does it feel so, like it uplifts you no matter where you are? And Yeah. 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 I literally listened to it yesterday because I'm like but well, it was after work. I'm like, I need this song right now. Yeah. <laughs> so There's a yeah. pianist on Spotify and Apple Music. That does piano covers, and there's his most listened to. The most listened to one that he does is actually "Merry Go Round of Life," and it's wow. beautiful. I love to fall asleep to it because it's just something comforting and uplifting about it that I just love. Yeah, and I, I think it sets the mood for the entire story too, because mm-hmm. like at the end, like it's it ends on a happy note. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there are conflicts in the story, but then at the end, everything got better. <laughs> oh, and. Joe Hisaishi, he won a few awards too. He has won eight Japanese Academy Awards. Nice. He also earned a purple ribbon from the government of Japan. And I had to look up what the purple ribbon meant. So so when someone earns a purple ribbon, 
That means they contributed to academic and artistic developments, improvements, and accomplishments. He's worked, you know, with music and films for decades. Mm -hmm. You mentioned even listening to the music away from the film, you still get the emotional impact that the film was trying to communicate to you. And you had mentioned the E.T., the The flying part, which, by the way, if you guys ever need as you're exercising, put that score on because suddenly you just feel like flying. You're suddenly just you're running faster, you're cycling faster or whatever. And it's it's just really uplifting. Darla, you had mentioned when we were not yet recording, but who's going to take up the mantle of these Mm -hmm. composers? Like who is the next generation? And we were all kind of racking our brains about who that would be, who would take it up. So, I mean, picking up that conversation, is there anyone that comes to mind for you? We were talking about the Lopez's. Yeah. From, and mostly because we were talking about WandaVision and how it plays on classic TV theme songs. And then what's nice, what's funny about that is then they flip it around when the villain reveal happens and they have a theme song for the villain which I think is hilarious. It ended up became, becoming like one of those downloaded songs on uh, iTunes that week was Agatha all along. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did not realize they were EGOTs. So, Robert yeah. is, yes. Robert has, was the youngest and fastest to get the EGOT. Emmys, Grammys, Tonys, and Oscars. Actually, I want to clarify, he is the only that has a double EGOT. Wow. Yes, he has two Emmys, Grammys, Tonys, Oscars, at least. He is the youngest person ever to earn an EGOT. He was 39 when he first accomplished it, but he is a and the only double EGOT. He got his Emmy Awards for direction and composition for Wonder Pets, which I didn't know they did, the (laughs) music for Wonder Pets. I've got to be weird here, and I must say, I love Wonder Pets. I know, it's so cute. And I love their use of opera in Wonder Pets. Mm -hmm. His Grammy Awards, Best Musical Theater Film, Book of Mormon, and the written visual for Media, Let It Go, compilation soundtrack, Frozen, so three Grammys, two Emmys. Best Original Song, Let It Go. Best Original Song, Remember Me. They also did the song Remember Me from Coco. So two academies there. And for his Tony Awards, Best Original Score for Avenue Q. Best (gasps) Book of a Musical, The Book of Mormon. And Best Original Score, The Book of Mormon. So you all probably know Robert (laughs) Lopez a lot more than you realize you know Robert Lopez. Love Avenue Q and Book of Mormon both. I did not realize that that was good. I think if I were to pick a who's picking up the mantle he is the first name i come Mm -hmm. up with when we're talking about i mean john williams is in his 90s now yeah Yeah. and he's still composing and and writing and he's done more than film Hans zimmer is up there in age i mean he's not you know he's like i guess the next generation after john williams and i don't know how how old joe I'm sorry, I forgot his name. Joe Hisaishi? Yeah, I don't know Um, how old he is. 60s or 70s. Okay, so he's in that kind of generation as well. Mm -hmm. So, And if you all have a suggestion of who's another composer up and coming that might be picking up the mantle from these very famous composers, because a lot of the film and theater composers right now, well, not theater, I shouldn't say theater, because there's a lot of new composers in theater, but in film composers, so many of them 
are of Hans Zimmer's generation. And so we're talking about people like Alan Silvestri and Harry Gregson Williams and Steve Jablonski and in that collective. By the way, Alan Silvestri uh, did the Avengers score, so. Oh, nice. He also replaced John Williams as composer for Ready Player One because John Williams went on to do uh, composing the for The Post. Yeah. The thing that I really like about Robert's work, as if I know him, Mr. Lopez's work, is that it's very, there's a lot of music theory into it. And quoting an interview they did with Deadline, they're talking about how they used the siren song. It's called the Deus Ere, which is part of a Gregorian chant from the 11th century. And composers have used this in a lot of things. But Robert Lopez says, composers from Sondheim to John Williams, it's in Home Alone, it's in Star Wars, it's in everything. And it means death or danger. So using these elements that are familiar to us to make that quick connection that these things are going on, and they used it in Elsa Frozen 2, Into the Unknown. That is that siren call she's hearing to go out into something that could be dangerous, that could be changing. And then Kristen Anderson Lopez going on talks about Elsa's part of that in which the Into the Unknown, it's, it's done three times. And it's the first time it's just a quick octave. And that's mm-hmm. a safe space. You know that octave. The next time it's one note higher. So she's just reaching out. She's slightly outside of that octave. So it's slightly uncomfortable, slightly what mm-hmm. you're not used to hearing. And then the next one, when she's just way out there that third time, she goes way over the octave and it's, I've broken from my comfort zone. I have broken from what's, what I'm used to. And that is, I loved that because that is using melody mm-hmm. to move forward a story and also to set a mood. I could talk about Yoko that's Kano. One of the one of the most iconic mood setters. Yes, Yoko Kano. She's known for the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack. The song "Tank" is is super well known to people who watch anime, or even to people that have only watched Cowboy Bebop but aren't anime watchers. They immediately recognize that song. What I love about that song is it's not typical for anime. Yeah, it is definitely. If you heard it, you'd be like, "Wait a minute." It has very much, you know, the jazz undertones and a little bit, we were talking about Ennio Morricone? Morricone. Morricone. It has like that. It's like overtones of gritty Western and overtones of jazz all combined. And that's not something you hear in anime because the very first time I saw that and I heard the theme song, I was like, whoa. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Cowboy Bebop is a space Western. Mm -hmm. So it kind of has that, I don't know the word, but jazz seems like it's like an old genre, mm-hmm. but then placed in a futuristic setting, but it meshes so well together. Mm-hmm. And Yoko Kano did a phenomenal job arranging the music for the show. It has a very um, film noir feel. Yes, Because the exactly. old uh, detective movies, but like I said, there's that little undertone that's like very much cowboy. Yes. It's, it's like very new mix of both things. And so I, I, I would say it's one of... My favorite anime soundtracks. Yes, definitely. Would you say that it, in doing that, they help draw the reader or the watcher in by using something familiar in an unfamiliar environment? Mm-hmm. So you have a, an instant connection, an instant understanding of kind of the themes you're going to address because you have this kind of in your 
back of your mind somewhere what that type of sound means mm-hmm. like yeah um besides i've not watched cowboy bebop i know <laughs> jazz being very experimental at times as well would mm-hmm. you say that that helps um with the themes that perhaps cowboy bebop explores that it's out kind of in a in a new place i think so one the show is episodic so every episode has like a different story mm-hmm but it's all all connects like at the end. I think because it is an anime space crime noir mm-hmm. thing, it's very unusual. It is terms, all experimental. It is, in a sense, yeah. And so I think it does. And there's a lot of connection between jazz and noir and detective mm-hmm. stories yeah, and things like that. And so, but this is just kind of like detective noir film cowboys because jazz can be many different things it does have elements of spaghetti western in there thrown in there with the sounds of jazz and so i think it does and it's very iconic i mean even anime fans who've never seen it at least are aware of the soundtrack Hmm. yeah it may be one that even though you've never seen it i bet if you heard it you might I'm going to have to listen to it now and I'll go, oh, okay. That's where that's from. (laughs) Every so often I do that. I go, oh, that's where that's from. Yeah. Yeah. I still wanted to touch on Yoko Kano. Yoko Kano is also known for doing the Ghost in the Shell standalone complex series soundtrack. And I didn't know this while I was watching the show because there, there are two different genres. And I have a quote from Yoko Kano when she talks about why she does different types of genres. And... I'm not going to read the whole quote. So she says, When I create music, I don't consider at all which genre I like best, but what the scene or the anime calls for, like a love theme or a mood. There isn't one genre I like more than the others. I find all of them satisfying and all inspire me in different ways. I like that about her. Like She sees what the anime wants and then she arranges music for that. Yeah, she's open to all the genres, it's depending on what story, you know, yeah. what element of the story needs to be highlighted. Yes. Ghost in the Shell was cyberpunk, so it's also futuristic, but in a different type of futuristic, mm-hmm. where there were cyborgs around in the world. So she went more for that theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, and moving away from anime, you have video game composers mm-hmm. listed down too, yeah, right? I do, because... The people I had mentioned, uh, Hans Zimmer, Harry Gregson Williams, Steve Jablonski, they are all part of remote control productions, which uh, Hans Zimmer established with a partner, and that was a whole legal matter that I'm not going to get into. But they made a warehouse for composers that directors could go to, whether it's for video games or or what have you, and say, what's your project? Oh, here, we have a composer that can work with you on that. Nobuo Umatsu, he is known for composing music for the Final Fantasy franchise. Oh, okay. Yeah, that yeah. music's very famous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like this little fact about him. Elton John was one of his biggest influences. I yeah. can see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, he is a self-taught musician. He worked for Square for almost 20 years before he went to freelancing. So Square is the company that did the Final Fantasy games, and then they were Squaresoft, now they're, they merge with Enix, now they're Square Enix. He is very well known for the Final Fantasy franchise as well as other video games. He was named one of the innovators in Times, Time 100, the next, the next 
wave music and also was regarded as John Williams of the video game world. Ah. <laughs> I love how it's interesting to set the bar or make it a clear quick point is that they compare him to John Williams. Yeah. Like any composer, if you're trying to make a point about how good they are mm-hmm. or how mm-hmm. well they do their work, it's they're the John Williams of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just, his music is iconic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it will be something that the movies will never really go away. But it will be something that will, that is just kind of ingrained in everybody's psyche because these are movies that have been seen all over the world. Yeah, and in the few Final Fantasy games that I did play, I didn't play all of them because there's a lot. But my favorite one I'll talk about since I'm more familiar with it, Final Fantasy VIII. The soundtrack is known for being kind of dark and gloomy, but there was some lighthearted music in there too. For the soundtrack, when you're fighting, it has that intense type of battle music, and it gets me hyped up. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get this enemy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he sets the mood for each type of sequence or mm-hmm. scene or battle, and he does it very well. So, Yeah, yeah. it helps you in, get into the feeling of being in the game. Yes. Yeah. Creating atmosphere. Yeah. Through, through melodies. I'm sorry. I could go on and on about the mm-hmm. impact of music on everything and that's why there's things like music therapy where they use music to help people with their work or with their you know family therapy and all this stuff music is in in so many things and um, can impact so much so i want to close with this quote by bernard herman who in case you all didn't know (laughs) bernard herman was the uh, composer of psycho but the quote is Music can propel narrative swiftly forward or slow it down. It often lifts mere dialogue into the realm of poetry. It is the communicating link between the screen and the audience, reaching out and enveloping all into one single experience. Thank you guys for joining me on this talk. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. I could have, of course, gone on and on about music. I am a big fan of film scores all the way back. We're talking about, of course, Korngold, who uh, does a lot of the swashbuckling films from the 30s and 40s, and Max Steiner, also well-known, which was mentioned in the conversation. Now, one of the things that I forgot to mention in that conversation is out available on Amazon. I think it's currently through their freebie which you watch with ads but you can also view it other ways it's called score it is by gravitas ventures it's from 2016 and it talks about how film is impacted by music it speaks with several composers it has some archival footage as well And it's just, it was really, really interesting. So if you're a film buff or story or music, it's that documentary is really for you. I very much recommend Score by Gravitas Ventures from 2016. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Music can also set the mood for that local haunted house or that scary story. We've got some programs coming up at the library that are fit for the October season. 
For teens, Haunted Library is back. Are you afraid of the dark? What creatures lurk in the night? Find out at Haunted Library 7, Back from the Dead. Permission slips are required and are available at the front desk starting October 1st, if you dare. This program is for teens in middle and high school, Friday, October 14th at 6.30 going to 8.30. Please make sure you pick up one of those permission slips starting October 1st and get that turned in before Haunted Library Back from the Dead. On Literary Path returns with Neil Gaiman's Click Clack the Rattle Bag. Enjoy this story as you wander through the library or out on our library grounds and enjoy some spooky props that will fit the mood of the tale. That's On the Literary Path. It starts October 21st and will be incorporated with Trunk or Treat. That's right, Trunk or Treat is going to return. This year, we have a new addition to the program, Trunk or Treat I Spy. Find all the items, win a prize, and be entered into a prize drawing. You can also decorate cookies and create a craft in the meeting room. Trunk or Treat items and prizes are while supplies last. Please note, most events will take place outside. In case of rain, the event will be moved inside. Our Trunk or Treat is Friday, October 28th from 6 p.m. to 7.45 p.m. Do you want to know more that's going on at your Atascacita Branch Library or any of the Harris County Public Libraries? Visit hcpl.net slash events. You're able to, on the left side, narrow down exactly what you're looking for. Maybe it's at a particular branch or a type of program that you're searching at any of the branches. You have a lot of flexibility on that left-hand side to narrow down what you're looking for among the many events that go on across the library system. There's also a quick link to a monthly calendar view, which will allow you to choose the month and the library branch that you're interested in, and will give you a calendar view of what's going on. Thank you for joining us all here at Atascacita Branch Library Advanced Copy. If you like hearing about the goings-on of the library, a little bit of the behind-the-scenes, and getting to know your library staff a little bit better, be sure to like and subscribe. Share it with friends you think might be interested in a little bit of information along with a lot of fun. Have a spine-tingling, spectacular October. You've been listening to Atascacita Library Advanced Copy. Find information on media used and resources mentioned on our podcast webpage. This podcast is produced by the staff of Atascacita Branch Library, a part of the Harris County Public Library System. Funds for the podcast are provided by a grant from Best Buy through the Friends of Atascacita Library. Find out more about this 501c3 organization at fol.ws. That's F-O-A-L dot W-S.